Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading, and this is a special sponsored podcast. Uh, Nokia has been sponsoring our podcast uh, series this entire month, and uh, this time around uh, for this show, we thought we would uh, interview somebody from Nokia and talk about uh, you know what it is that they do, but also um, you know their role in helping network operators do what they do. Um, so the guest this time around is Steve Vogelsang. He's the CTO for the IP and Optical Networks Group at Nokia. And he does such a great job of articulating uh, service provider challenges, but also, you know, where service providers have triumphed in the pandemic and how they're um, building their networks, you know, to be more flexible and to really kind of be ready for the unpredictable, as, as crazy as that might sound. So some of the topics we touch on include cloud migration, Industry 4.0, and of course, uh, the 5G network evolution. So uh, uh, this is a really good interview. I, I, I really uh, enjoyed his, his insight. And uh, thanks again to Nokia for sponsoring this month. Uh, so please enjoy my interview with Steve Vogelsang. This podcast is sponsored by Nokia, proud builder of IP and optical communications infrastructure, the beating heart of the networks that keep us all going. Nokia IP and Optical, the foundation for what's to come. Welcome to the podcast, Steve Vogelsang from Nokia. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, it's good to have you. And, uh, you know, we, we have a, a lot to talk about because so much is going on right now. Um, uh, one of the things I wanted to get into, I guess, right away is the uh, your, your perspective from uh, what's happened during the pandemic. So, you know, I guess I could start out with um, how networks have really held up during the pandemic and how has this pandemic kind of changed the role of the network operator? It's been very interesting uh, what we see, saw happen back in, in March uh, when all the shutdowns started. Uh, essentially, we we saw the traffic growth in in most networks, you know, increase uh, 30, 40, 50 percent in a matter of a week or two, uh, and that's typically the growth that we would see in the course of a year. So, uh, you know, you think about that as a network operator, suddenly uh, you've got to deal with this massive growth, un- unanticipated. And what's amazing is the networks held up quite well, uh, handled the traffic uh, amazingly well. We didn't hear a lot of complaints about, you know, video conferences not working. Now, some of that, I think, was due to there was a bit of a time shift in when the networks were were most busy. You know, we're used to, you know, for a residential access network, it's typically most busy on a Sunday evening. You know, people are streaming video. Uh, and so so that capacity was there during the day when suddenly everyone was working from home trying to do Zoom calls and and whatnot. So that that worked out quite well. Yeah, yeah, it, it, I, I agree too that that um, we didn't hear about the the networks sort of having as much trouble as maybe we had anticipated. You know, you, you sort of on paper you think, oh no, everybody's going to be working from home. This is going to be a mess, and it was actually surprisingly smooth from from that perspective. Yeah, and I think that's a testament to the the CSPs globally and the approach that. They've taken, and of course, we work very closely with them on this and in how the networks were designed. You know, we think about robustness. We think about in anticipating the unexpected. Uh, is it, It's one of the design, design philosophies that goes into this network. And 
this is a case where, hey, the unexpected happened and, and the network was engineered to handle it and, and held up quite nicely. Yeah. Now we've got, um, you know, networks are constantly in a state of evolution and we're building out to, um, you know, to uh, accommodate various challenges, um, you know, and, and needs. Um, so I'm curious about specifically how you see the, the pandemic uh, affecting the evolution of networks as it, as it relates to both cloud migration and uh, industry 4.0. And then maybe we, we can talk about 5G a little bit later, but I want to want you to weigh in on cloud migration and industry 4.0, because those are two, um, you know, kind of network priorities right now for most service providers. Yeah, I think very similarly to what we saw happen just with network capacity expansion happening uh, very quickly, the same is occurring with cloud migrations in industry 4.0. We're, we're accelerating the pace, right? These are both trends that, are well underway, um, probably cloud migration a little bit ahead of the industry 4.0 stuff. Um, but you know, during a pandemic, they just become more critical and the pace of adopting the, these new uh, approaches has accelerated. So cloud migration, moving more of your enterprise capabilities online uh, becomes a incredibly important factor when your employee base is now increasingly working from home, right? Uh, so that has accelerated pretty significantly, um, placed a lot of demands on the metro networks to provide that connectivity. Uh, so we've definitely seen that that accelerate. Um, Industry 4.0, if you think about it, one of the major things we're doing with this is productivity enhancements through digitization, which can lead to automation. Uh, and we saw that, we're seeing that accelerate as well. We're you know trying to do more, uh, of the, the jobs and, and workflows without actually having human beings, you know, required to be on site or fewer people on site. So things like zero touch provisioning have become, you know, more popular. And we've taken that from the labs into actual production, uh, where you can have, you know, one, uh, one person goes on site, uh, and can be tied back to the network, uh, to execute a task through a, a set of automated, uh, automated, uh, processes. So, uh, we're seeing that start to accelerate as well. In the uh, you know just picking up on the cloud migration, um, would, uh, how would you say that like the cloud migration along with uh, software as a service has accelerated the network transformation inside of well I guess inside of both service providers and possibly their customers too on the enterprise side. Yeah, so there's a number of things that have that have happened. I, you know, we've we've been seeing for a while the the big cloud operators build out very large uh, networks. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing the pace of that increase somewhat. Um, the other piece of that is you've got to get connectivity to and from those, those clouds, right? If you're now mm -hmm. hosting your critical enterprise applications in the cloud, uh, you need to make sure that you, you're working with a set of service providers, exchange providers to get connectivity into those clouds, uh, get that connectivity into your sites. And again, they may not be employees in some of those sites, but there's certainly factories, there's certainly you know, you can be operating mines, you could be operating a power grid. Um, yeah. So, you know, increasingly with the applications now running in a cloud somewhere, that connectivity to and from your private network into the cloud becomes critical. So we've seen a, a big push to, to get much more automation in terms of how we interconnect to the cloud, how mm -hmm. that extends across the metro network, how that gets into an actual enterprise site, whatever that might be. Uh, so that's becoming increasingly important. Back to the question about how networks are evolving. I, I, 
I, I neglected, as I mentioned, I, I neglected to talk about 5G networks. So I, I, I know this answer a little bit because at Light Reading, we're covering 5G all the time. But uh, what, from your point of view, what's been the impact of uh, both uh, the pandemic and also, you know, just the, uh, uh, the acceleration to the cloud on, the, uh, on, on 5G networks? Yeah, so you know, five 5G is bringing a number of new capabilities to the table. You know, mm-hmm. 4G LTE was really the first wireless broadband technology made browsing on a on a phone possible uh, for the first time, at least with a good user experience. So, 5G, yeah. we're we're extending the capabilities of the network in a number of new directions. So first is adding significantly more capacity. So going from, Hey, I can do browsing pretty good on a, on a mobile device to, I can run my business on a mobile device. If I need to, if I need video streaming, I can do video streaming. I can do that at scale um, in any location, you know, where I need to do it. So capacity becomes very important. Uh, but we're also extending the capabilities of the network. So things like ultra low latency. So if you think about industrial IoT and industrial applications, uh, we start to enable types of automations that would have been impossible in the in the past. So, you know, having AI machine learning workloads that are perhaps running in an edge cloud, um, assisting decision making that's occurring on a factory floor, as an example, where that you need a pretty fast loop. Um, augmented reality um, is really becoming possible for the first time with 5G, where I'm combining the real world and uh, the virtual world. Uh, and again, that has to, for that to work well, you have to have a great user experience. And so there's mm-hmm. going to be some, some compute somewhere that needs to be reached with, with pretty low latency. Uh, and, and I think another key area that, that 5G is bringing to the table, you know, we think about uh, the productivity enhancements and the possibilities for enterprises that are driven by industrial IoT. For many of those, they, they really need their own dedicated network capacity and dedicated network capabilities. So things like 5G enabling network slicing as an example, mm-hmm. uh, that comes into play. Right. So now, you know, you can take that spectrum and capacity that's being enabled with 5G and, and I can slice that up uh, and provide it to different enterprises, to different use cases uh, that all run simultaneously in a very secure and dedicated manner. Yeah, it, it, it really does uh, encompass a lot of network capabilities and, and, um, inc- incredibly forward-thinking technologies from a user point of view. I can't wait for. Uh, I can't wait until we go from being able to like when you're working on something around your house or working on the car or whatever. You know, now you have to kind of watch the YouTube video of some guy fixing something. Yeah. It, imagine how cool it'll be to have the AR involved, where you can just do an overlay or look at a schematic or something like that. You know, and kind of you know, really see how to fix something or, or maybe have, have somebody, you know, help you fix something in, in real time. I, I look forward to stuff like that because I just, we've never had that kind of capability before. And once it gets into our lives, I think we're going to go, wow, I can't believe we used to just watch a video and pause it and run, go, grab the wrench yeah. <laughs> you know, or whatever. No, um, you're, you're right. It's uh it, the possibilities are are pretty amazing. We're we're kind of in the very early days, as well as you say, um, of what what's possible. And you know, yeah. and, and, and of course, at, at Nokia, we're always thinking about what needs to happen in the network to make sure that that we can deliver all that. And yeah. you know, five G is. You know, I talked about some of the new use cases, but there's been a pretty fundamental rethink in terms of the network architecture to prepare for those types of applications that you just described. Right. You know, we've, um, 
we're moving to much more of a, a cloud native architecture for the core elements, mm-hmm. um, d- doing things. And that, and that at the end of the day, well, what does that mean? Well, that means we, we can even be more dynamic in how we add capacity to respond to these uh, new applications. Um, things like uh, separation of user plane and data plane, um, you know, cups, we call it, um, right. user plane, uh, data plane separation. You know, that enables that what you describe, you know, instead of watching a video pausing when you're trying to say fix something on your car, you put your smartphone uh, video screen and it's automatically going and, and maybe there's some AI involved in telling you, oh, yeah, here's your problem. Uh, right. You've got, you know, bad connection or, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, to do that, you've got compute somewhere uh, and we've got to get to it very quickly. We don't want to take the control plane and distribute it all over the place. That comes very uh, problematic, but we can now take the user plane. Uh, and so you can have some local compute somewhere. We can break out the traffic uh, and get that low latency. So it's architectural shifts in how we build the the network uh, to enable these new types of applications. And to be honest, the sky's the limit. Nobody really knows what, what, what will catch on. Um, I think as we build these networks, put them in the hands of the the smart developers and, you know, the, the innovators that create the applications, you know, we're going to find all sorts of, of new capabilities we never even thought of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how does, you know, and, and, and you may have already answered this in part, but um, when, when you're talking about network designs changing, um, how have it, how have the networks changed in order to support things like IOT? Because it just occurred to me as we were, you know, kind of talking through that, that one use case is that, you know, people aren't just going to stop at smartphones, obviously, you know, they're going to have all kinds of devices around their house and those devices are going to talk to mostly machines and then sometimes people. And, you know, the more mobile that scenario gets, the, the, the more complex. Um, uh, so I guess, I, I guess my question is how, how, how has the network kind of evolved to adapt to that reality? Yeah, I think the, the big thing is it, changes the duty cycle that we're used to on the network, right? If you think mm-hmm. about the internet that we've, we've built and the current state of the internet, you know, changed a bit with the pandemic, but in general, the, the heaviest use case we have is video streaming. Right. Um, and video streaming continues to grow. It's got a long way to go before we've displaced all of the traditional broadcast medium for video, satellite, you know, cable networks and, and other approaches. Um, but we understand it, right? You can kind of predict it. You know what's going to happen. It's going to increase X percent a year. Uh, we sure. understand it quite well. When you introduce IoT and you introduce this notion of connecting things rather than you know, connecting humans and, and providing information to humans, the traffic patterns become somewhat unpredictable, right? Hmm. A simple example, imagine you roll out, uh, I want to put video cameras on intersections across a, a city for a smart city application. Okay. Well, well, suddenly I have... Instead of a massive amount of data coming from the cloud to users, I have a massive amount of data that I need to collect uh, from those video cameras and take it to the cloud to be analyzed uh, and you know, generate some for- form of insight and perhaps take some sort of action on. And so that's a complete inversion of the traffic flows, right? This idea of we have asymmetry, the download must be much bigger than the uplink, it turns that on its head. Uh, where the traffic's coming from and, and going to, it turns that mm-hmm. on its head. Yeah. Uh, and so I think when we think about this, uh, you know, we try to think about how do we engineer the network to prepare for that sort of unpredictability? 
And so the, really a lot goes into it, you know, putting capacity in, in the transport networks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in addition to what we do in 5G, we've got to make sure that, you know, we're driving fiber deeper into the network. Uh, we're lighting up that fiber at more capacity, much lower energy per bit. Uh, we have a very flexible uh, routing layer because we don't know exactly what the traffic patterns will look like and we've got to be able to respond. So all of this goes into how we think about architecting, not just the wireless network, but the transport networks that support it. Good thing to do would be to kind of put a uh, uh, put it all into some kind of context. So if, if we're thinking about all these challenges that are facing network architects as they're, and, and service providers as they're building out their networks and networks are evolving, um, what would you say are some of the top uh, high-level takeaways, and then where does Nokia fit into uh, you know that that equation? Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway, what we've learned, particularly from the pandemic, is you got to really think about investing in the capability in your network to respond to the unknown. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think the pandemic, as far as the network operator, it's it's shined a bright light on the networks we built. It's it's shown how critical they are, and it's also shown uh, what a great job uh, network operators across the globe have done in building those networks. So I think keeping that mentality of of how do we build something that's very robust, that's going to last, that's going to respond to whatever uh, whatever I throw at it, um, it's critical, right? It's been very important to keep the economies going through this pandemic. If we didn't have the networks, imagine uh, how much worse things would be, and, and frankly, saving lives. Uh, getting yeah. information out about how to how to handle something like this. So that would be my my main takeaway is, you know, think about it. it. It's very important. We think about this at Nokia. You know, we're thinking about the long term, investing in silicon, investing in software, investing in automation, uh, so we can make sure that when our customers have the need uh, to add capacity, to add flexibility, to add programmability into their networks, that we've got the solutions for them, and not just for today, but for the future. Very well said, and uh, thanks so much for uh, for uh, spending some time with me today. I do appreciate the, the the time. Yeah, great talking with you, Phil. Thanks to our amazing producer, Tian Fu, for all his hard work editing the podcast. And also a big thanks to our listeners for tuning in and sharing the podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you have any ideas about a future podcast topic or a potential guest for the show, please email us at editors at lightreading.com. Please also tell a friend to subscribe and thanks for listening to the Light Reading Podcast. We'll see you next time. This podcast is sponsored by Nokia, proud builder of IP and optical communications infrastructure, the beating heart of the networks that keep us all going. Nokia IP and Optical, the foundation for what's to come.